Success stories and interviews with game changers and thought leaders who have overcome both in life and in business. Welcome to Vertical Momentum. Guys, welcome back to another episode of Vertical Momentum. I'm Hoffman, also known as the Comeback Coach. Guys, this is going to be an amazing episode. If you are looking to improve upon your leadership, whether that be in business or in your home, as a husband, as a father, any type of leadership, if you're struggling, like sometimes I do, I'm learning always to be a better leader. Um, you definitely need to check out this episode. This is going to be a great episode, so get a pen and paper ready. So my brother Dennis is about to blow your socks off. Dennis, my brother, what's going on? Come back, Coach Richard. How are you, my friend? Oh, man, I just got off vacation, and we got we got to bed about 1 a.m., so I'm running on fumes, but thank God that uh, he got us back safe and in one piece, so um, I'm truly humbled and grateful for that. Amen, man. I'm excited to be here. I got my coffee. Heard you say take good notes. I got my pen and paper handy as well, brother. There you go. So, okay, so first of all, tell us, uh, we're going to get, we're going to help hop in the Wayback Machine. So, Talk to us about where you where you were born, where you grew up, and what kind of little boy Dennis was. Oh, wow. We're going way back. Way back. <clears throat> well, I was born in a small, small town in Pennsylvania, northeastern Pennsylvania. And thank the Lord that the show, uh, The Office, came on because nobody would ever have heard of the place that I was born Thanks because of The Office. The Office is in Scranton, Pennsylvania. I was born about an hour from Scranton, Pennsylvania, close to New York, the New York border, in a little town called Susquehanna. It's yep. Susquehanna Depot in the, uh, if you're pulling up Wikipedia, there's actually two Susquehannas in, in Pennsylvania. There's a Susquehanna University, and then there's Susquehanna Depot. I was born in that little town of about a thousand people. Now that's a little uh, a river town, right? There's, the Susquehanna River runs through that? Yes. There? Yes, sir. Sure does. Sure does. So what were you like as a little boy? As a little boy? Um, you know, I, I loved sports. My goodness. I was always playing sports. You name it. I was playing soccer, baseball, football, picked up basketball. Just, I loved to be outdoors and I loved to run. I was like a little Forrest Gump. I just loved running. I loved to be in motion and running as a kid, very, um, very competitive uh, as a kid, I hated losing and I still don't like losing. Let's just put that out there. I don't like losing. One of my top strengths is being competitive. I love to win. And that's how I was as a kid, but I wasn't one of those that would just, I would do anything it took to win, but I wasn't one of those vocal guys on the field yelling at my teammates or anything like that. I just, put my head down and said, okay, I'm going to do what I've got to do to win this. And I was always the kid in the neighborhood that uh, I would always, because I was so competitive, I would, I, and I loved the kids in the neighborhood that I was around. Uh, now I had moved to Texas at this point. My parents moved to Arlington, Texas when I was four and we lived there for 10 years. So my formative years are in that, are in Arlington, Texas. And um, I was always that kid in the neighborhood. As, as soon as it was 8.30, I was out the door, 8.30 a.m., I was out the door knocking on kids' doors, 
hey, let's play baseball, let's play basketball, let's play football, let, let's do something, and, and knocking on all the doors. I was that kid. And then get, putting the teams together, and then we would play literally all day long until the lights came on at night and we couldn't play and, and we had to come home. That, now, did you that have, was me. Did, <laughs> Excuse have, me. Did you have brothers and sisters, and what was the family dynamic like? At that time, um, when I was that young, I had a sister who's two years younger than me. And, and that's it. And mom and dad, uh, mom and dad worked, both of them worked. So, you know, they, they left in the morning to go, go to work. And it was me and my sister basically uh, running up and down the street, in the neighborhood. We had great neighbors. Uh, my parents' best friends were next door to us, spent a lot of time with them. But yeah, but, but that was also in a different era too, Richard, you know, back in the day, you could go out and be out all day long and there weren't any issues. We really can't do that uh, with our kids today. So uh, that was my fam family dynamic. And midway, when I was 15, my parents decided to move back to Pennsylvania. So I'm in my freshman year, starting my freshman year of high school when we moved back to Susquehanna, Pennsylvania for a year. Stayed there for uh, a year, went to school. I went to the same high school my parents went to, where they met. And uh, I finally moved to one other high school midway through my sophomore year, uh, Tunkhannock High School there in, in Pennsylvania also. And that's where I graduated. That my, my dad's brothers, my mom's family all were up there. And they decided that they wanted to be closer to family. And uh, dad got a dad got dad got a job working at uh, Procter and Gamble where he started when I was a baby and uh, finished out his, his uh, career through uh, Procter and Gamble. Now for me, like I grew up an only child. So when I got out of school, I got my ass beat a lot, which uh, I was picked on. It's a lot of bullying, mm -hmm. but when I got home, books became my refuge. Were you a reader at this point? Cause I, you know, I believe that readers are leaders. But sometimes people don't really start reading until they get a little bit more advanced in age. Mm, I have always been a reader. My parents had lots of books in the house. Ever since um, I can remember, I have always loved reading. I've always had a book either in my room with me. I carry books with me. I've, I've always been a reader. Okay, so now your high school years, were you still an athlete? And how was your, what kind of grades were you pulling in high school? Yeah, in high school, um, uh, I, I quit playing football in junior high school. So going into high, because I was, you know, mom and dad are 5'5 five, five and 5'6. Five, I saw the DNA already. Okay, I'm not going to be very tall and I'm not going to be very big. So um, so what I did is uh, I found that I was really good at running and, and ran cross country and track in high school. And I played basketball, which is odd because basketball – I, I love basketball because it was a sport that I had to work very hard at to be below average. I just loved playing it. I loved watching it. I loved playing it. And that was one of those goals I had in high school was I want to make varsity. And, and I made varsity. I've got one minute of varsity time on the floor and got a defensive rebound. And I still remember that because it, it was so important for me to, to make varsity basketball, but my passion in high school was cross country and track. Um, I, I lettered, I, I was all conference a couple of years with the States a couple of times, ended up going to division three college, uh, running cross country and track there. So I, I was a pretty good athlete in high school. Now, what college did you <clears throat> end up going to? 
Um, I went to Moravian College in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, not far down the street from Lehigh University, and uh, I ran cross country and track for my coach, Mark Will Weber. He was a, he was an author. He was a senior editor for Runner's World magazine, which was like the Bible for us runners, and uh, and, and an author with quotes. Loved loved running for him. He was such a great guy. So, what did you decide on majoring in? At that time, um, I wanted to be in television broadcasting initially. Um, the D3 school didn't have that. So I, I went into journalism because I'd done, uh, I was a editor for my school paper, done some TV and radio in high school. So I, I jumped in and, and got involved with the, the school paper, wrote an edit, editorial at, uh, at the college. Um, did that for a year. Uh, unfortunately, and my grades were really good in high school. I had good grades in high school. Um, college, I had great grades until the end of uh, cross-country season, midway through my first semester. I realized how much time I had in my hands, and man, did I blow it. If my GPA were a baseball ERA my freshman year of college, I'd have won the Cy Young Award for the lowest ERA. <laughs> and for those listeners out there that understand baseball, um, yeah, my grade point average was terrible because I was running from class, not to class. So if you were a golfer, you'd have been doing pretty good. Oh yeah. Yeah. Let's just say that, um, um, I was between a hole in one and a hole in two. <laughs> so what, what was, because I, I love talking about, um, as I get older, I'm getting more into talking about mindset because mm. I, I believe mindset is everything. Yes. So what was it that made you turn the corner? Um, well, my mindset there was at, after college, after that freshman year of college, I moved back. My parents moved again. My parents love to move. I, I've never really sat down and asked them why they moved so much, but uh, they moved back to Texas during my freshman year of college. So when they, when I finished that freshman year of college, they came back up to Pennsylvania. My sister was graduating high school at the time in Pennsylvania as well. So we all got together and I decided to, to go back home with them, transfer to a junior college and, and kind of start over. And the junior college didn't have cross country or track or anything, no sports. It was just uh, going back and continuing my education and, and, and resetting. And so what I discovered that junior college was some of the books I was using in junior college I'd used in high school. So from a mindset perspective, I already saw, okay, this is going to be easy. I already recognize these books. I did these in high school. I can do this. This is the piece of cake. But then the other part uh, of my mindset was working. I needed to fill my day because the more time I had to myself, I found that I was wasting that time. Uh, getting myself in trouble or just not doing anything. Just, I didn't have any real clear vision. Um, it, it was in Texas where I met my wife. We were working in the mall together. We went to the junior college together and we met and got married and my daughter was on the way. And uh, that's when I, I think my mindset changed. Here's where my mindset changed when we met my wife, because through my wife, I came to understand who God is and, and found my faith for the first time. And that was, that was the shift in my mindset right away. And Richard, I know you understand that. The, the shift in my mindset was, okay, 
I'm no longer living for myself. I've got a bigger vision and a bigger calling. And there, uh, there's, there's something more to my life than what I have. Now, now I'm, I married my girlfriend that, who led me to the Lord. And now she's my wife. We've got a daughter on the way, but I'm working in a grocery store full time, brother. And you know, working in a grocery f- store full time, living in a small apartment, furnished, um, I, there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of money at the end of the month and with a and with a, my daughter coming um you know i i had to think differently and i remember my wife and i were driving down the strip this at the time we were living in sherman texas we we're driving down the main strip there in sherman texas and one of our favorite things to do on date night was the dollar theater come on we would go to taco bell for basically dollar tacos then go to to the dollar theater for dollar movies. Yeah, that was just our way to to spend time together. And next to in that theater, next to it was the um, what was the military recruiters. This is where we shift into my military career. And I remember seeing those military crews. And, and my wife brought up. She said, "What about the military?" I'm like, nah, "I don't want to join the military," you know. Uh, back in high school, the army recruiter wouldn't leave me alone. I invited him to the house and I knew that if I got him to the house in front of my parents and told him I wasn't interested, he'd never bother me again. I, I just, that just was not what I wanted to do. But I remember saying, okay, but hold on a second, Dennis. There was something to what she said. And I said, you know what? Why don't we pray about it tonight? Let's pray about it tonight. And then tomorrow I threw out a little kind of what we call a fleece. I said, tomorrow we'll come back and whoever's open, like the recruiters close, uh, whoever's open, we'll go, we'll consider those. So she said, okay. And I said, the other thing is you're coming with me. I'm bringing my pregnant wife with me. I'm showing all my cards because I'm not signing any paperwork until you see what, what, what you're getting. So next day we go back to, we go to the uh, recruiters. There were only two recruiters open that day of the four the Air Force and the Marines. <clears throat> so we went to the Air Force recruiter first, my wife and I, we spent an hour and a half with him, just walked in, talked to him. He answered all of the questions we asked and just, it was just a great interview. And I really got a positive, uh, positive confirmation from him. But I said, I would go to the Marine recruiter. And the interesting thing about the Marine recruiter is my father-in-law who just recently passed away is a Marine served in Vietnam. And um, the Marine recruiter, we went to church with the Marine recruiter. So I'd seen him in uniform at church and I recognized him and I know he recognized me. And we, I, I bring in my wife and I, he basically pushed us out the door in less than five minutes, basically saying, I don't have anything for you. I don't have anything for you. I, I tried to ask him, I tried to stay there and talk to him and he pushed me out the door. So, so there it is. It, it was pretty clear. I felt from the Lord that, joining the Air Force, if that was the direction to go, the Air Force was going to be it. And so as we just pursued more, um, that's what we did. We, we decided but, but now, to go ahead. Because I believe that, you know, God has a reason to plan. Um, mm-hmm. and, you know, being a openly Christian man in the military, um, it's kind of, you stick out like a sore thumb. But now, when you joined, obviously you must have scored pretty good on the ASVAB. 
so what was your job opportunities and what job did you finally take? <laughs> I was a recruiter's dream, brother. I went open admin and open general. And my ad, my uh, ASVAB scores were horrible in mechanical. I didn't even qualify for a single mechanical job in the Air Force. Not one. That would so, be me. That would be me too. I, I can I can only break stuff. I can't fix anything. Right on. <laughs> so I went open admin, open general, and when I went to basic training, um, I I didn't have a guaranteed job. I didn't know what my job was. It wasn't until about week three or four, I think, that I uh, towards the end of basic training that I found out that I was going to be a material storage and distribution specialist. Man, I love how the military comes up with all these big words to tell you that you're basically an Amazon delivery driver working in a warehouse. <laughs> so, you're, so you were going to be in the rear with the gear. That's right. I was I was a supply guy uh, when I first started. Um, and t- interesting story about my basic training. Uh, Richard, that uh, I think is important in my story is, is when I sensed that God was telling me to go into the Air Force, my wife was still pregnant. We hadn't, I went to basic training the day before my wife was scheduled to deliver my daughter. And we prayed over that together. And we, we were convinced that that was what we needed to do. And so my daughter was actually born um, my second week into base training. My, my wife was two weeks late. Well, we understand on time based off of the doctor's time. Um, my daughter was born two weeks after her due date and two weeks into basic training. So you remember basic training. The first two weeks are the toughest mentally, physically, just everything. And now on top of that, I've, I'm, I'm wondering how my wife's doing my baby girl have they been del- just all of that stress? I literally lost my voice from stress the first week, and every day it was a, it was just God's grace allowing my vocal cords to to do my reporting statements whenever I was called upon <laughs> and answer questions. So now you graduate, but you know, okay. Well, normally I talk about this afterwards, um, but I think this is appropriate now. You know, my wife is my, my, I call her my bride. We've been, she's known me for over crap 40 years now. And we've been mm. married for 12. Um, and usually if something is off, she knows it. She has like a ninth or 12th sense. <laughs> and a, a lot of times when, when a, a guy or a girl is about to, about to make a decision, a lot of times they don't talk to their spouse they don't have the hard conversation across the kitchen table until crap hits the fan. Mm. And you have to have an even harder talk across the table. So talk to us about why you should have that hard um, conversation before you make any major decisions in your life, whether it's business um, career wise, because it, it's all, the, you know, everybody in your house gets affected by every decision you make. So please talk to us about that. Sure. And I'll just state up front, I haven't always been good at this. Um, um, in the beginning, I start, we start off really well with that. Jamie and I sitting and talking together and, and working through these decisions, praying about them together, being together, because just like you said, the, those decisions affect everybody in the family. And for Jamie and I, 
sitting down and talking through things. And this is easier for her. My wife is really good at this. She does. She can tell when I'm off and she's really good at having card conversations and she's really good at listening. She's honestly, I think she's a better coach than I am. if, If you want the truth, she's just fantastic. And, um, and why it's so important is, is when I don't include her in things, I miss her insight and her input. And I also miss her strengths, which are, are usually offsetting my weaknesses. And it's, and when it's a one man show, it usually, it impacts everybody. And I'm grateful that at times she'll say, just make a decision. We'll go either way. I'm okay. Either way you have my support one way or the other. She really has always been good about that. But, you know, the hard conversations, it's always been harder for me to sit down and have those harder conversations than it is with her. And, but one of the things that I have found very helpful in, in my life is to have feedback sessions with her. Hey, how am I doing? Where, what am I doing well? What am I not doing so well? What do I need to change? And what do you need from me? She's usually pretty good at telling me what she needs, but when I purposefully take those moments to sit down and ask those questions with her and listen to the answers and make the changes, things go very well at home. But when I don't, oh my gosh, it's just, you know, it, it's, it doesn't go well. And then I wonder why, hey, where is everybody? Where, where did everybody go? Why isn't everybody following me? Why, why isn't, as a leader, why aren't, why aren't they following me? Why do I get all this pushback? Why is there so much tension around here? And it's usually my fault for not going back and having those conversations. And, you know, we've, we've had some tough times together over the years, just, uh, you know, uh, I've known her, we got married in our twenties. I'm 50 now. We've been married for 30 years and, you know, we've, we've had our ups and downs and we've got three kids. We've got five grandkids and raising kids and traveling the world with the military. We've, excuse me, we've had our, we've had our moments. And usually when I don't follow what I just said to you is usually when, when crap hits the fan. Okay. So now we all know that the military has like an 80% divorce rate. It's it's something up there, up there with police officers and Mm. uh, firefighters. So, and you know, I, I talked to a friend of mine last week on the show and she was talking about um, how you can divorce proof your marriage while, while um, on base and while being deployed at the same time, mm-hmm. you work still, even though you're deployed, you can still be working on your relationships. So talk to us about, because a lot of people that are listening to this are still in the military. And some of them are either going to get married or are married and they don't want to end up being part of that 80%. So how do you divorce proof, proof your marriage while still being in country, but then also being deployed? Yeah, that's a great question. And you know, for for perspective, when I joined, when when I went on my first deployment in 1995, we didn't have email, or we had email, but but um, no, actually, we didn't have email. We didn't have email. We didn't have cell phones. We didn't have text messages and and video and and all that kind of stuff. 
I had a, I made a collect call or I had a calling card to make a phone call, or I used the DSN defense service network calling an operator to connect me to an off base line so I could have a 10 minute talk with my wife once a week. So putting that into perspective today, what I, the, the first thing you need to do is if you're deployed, you need to be communicating. There, there is no excuse not to communicate with your family when you're deployed today. None, unless you're in a region where there's nothing. There's, I mean, I wrote letters to my wife. She got, we still have those. It, if you want to be connected to them, you've got to make the decision to be connected and find ways to connect and make memories. That's, that's number one. And for those that are thinking about getting married, if you're considering the what ifs of, of getting out of it, then you don't need to be getting into it. Don't even go in with a mindset of, well, I'm just going to, you know, it, it's, it's, it's not a contract. It's not an idea. Well, if I break this, I'm going to do these prenuptials and all this other stuff. You're going in with the wrong mindset. The, the mindset is we're coming together as one. We're better together and we're going to make this life the best life together. And we're going to stick this out no matter what it going in with that mindset from the get go for us was, was critical. That is, you know, we don't say the D word. And unfortunately there have been a couple of times where it's come up and it's been my fault when it has, but that's where you come. That's where you, you have those conversations and you sit down and you have the talks and you work through things and constant communication is critical and making memories for, for not only your spouse, but for the kids too. making memories for all of them is important. And for me, when I was deployed, that those 10 minutes were the most important 10 minutes of my week, being able to get on the phone and, and just hear, hear her voice, hear the kids voices and be able to work through uh, important issues at the time for each of us. And I mean, she's told me several times, you know, when, when there were things she wanted to say that time didn't allow and it just, you know, it was hanging up. That phone was just devastating to her at times and living for those, those 10 minutes were just so important. So how do, how do you divorce proof your marriage? Uh, number one, go into it when you're deployed, you know, do what you've got to do downrange. You've got to do the mission. But then when you're not doing the mission, you need to take every opportunity to connect at home, to, to talk to the kids and make those moments when you're on the phone. I, I know that uh, during when I was when I was in Korea twice, you know, my kids went through, you know, they were teenagers at this point. So I was a teenager. I remember dumb stuff I did. And, you know, when my kids were doing dumb stuff you know, I, I got onto them. There were a few times where, you know, I got the call and I had to get onto them. Even then making sure that everybody knows that you love them, that you care for them and, and you love them. And whenever I could include my wife in what was going on, uh, work related, I would include her in it to let her, to, to give her perspective of what's going on. I, I protected them from uh, my military career and things but there were some things where I, I needed to let them in so they could understand what what I was thinking, what's going on. So that way, um, 
we kept the communication lines open and they were able to empathize with me as well as me with them. And I think that was critical also. And they, the idea that, uh, you know, we're not going to say the D word and, you know, the, the mindset of what goes TDY stays TDY. My gosh, that, that mindset right there is going to cause problems in your marriage. If that is your mindset, what goes TDY stays TDY, your marriage is in trouble. And also your integrity is in trouble because what you're saying is I'm going to go down range and do whatever I want to do and nobody's going to know about it. And when, when you live that way, it eventually catches up to you. Yep. Now a lot of problems, um, cause now we're going to talk about getting back from deployments. Mm. A lot of times, whether it's a man, male or female husband or wife, when they're left, home you know taking care of the house and and the kids all of a sudden they have two jobs they're, they're doing both the jobs they're doing the husbands and the wives um, taking care of the bills and when we get home and i say we because you know we're military and um we all been there mm-hmm. you know we get home and all of a sudden we try to fit back into where we were before we left but stuff changed and we have to, for me, you know, from all the doctors and people I've talked to, we have to ease back into post-deployment. Mm-hmm. Have to ease back into all of a sudden you can't just say, "Honey, I'll take, I'll take, I'll take back over the checking account." When she, and she'll be like, "Wait a minute, I've been doing this for six, twelve, eighteen months. I got this, and now you're going to come back and start trying to be a big bully again." So what are your thoughts on reintegration back into the family after deployment? Yeah, that, that was something with us. Um, the constant communication that we had deployed. Um, and then just over the years, just building that system. The, the first one's always tough because when you come back, when, when I came back, I think what helped us the most when, when I came back was we took, I, I had saved up 30 days of leave and I burned 30 days of leave to load up the family and we traveled and, and saw family and spent time. And I think that helped us out a lot to reintegrate was just having that trip together away from the house and away from everything. And that kind of allowed us to, to re rebuild that relationship. And, but as, and as we started the coming back later, like coming back from a year in Korea, that was, that was pretty tough. Um, the kids were teenagers at the time, so they were kind of on their, their own quite a bit at that point. Um, connecting the, with them was a little bit difficult, but not as bad. Um, but with, yeah, with Jamie and I, it was, I, I've always been very intuitive and very instinctive. Uh, I, I, I'm not that person that comes in and says, this is what you're going to do. I'm not married. And I'm married to a, a woman that says, if, if you're going to come in like that, <laughs> we're going to be fighting. We're going to have, we're going to have strong conversations. She's a very strong, strong woman. And so it was for us, it was just opening the lines of communication. Say, Hey, when I come back, what is it that I know that you've been keeping the house and you've been doing everything. What can I take off of your plate that, that you would rather have me to do that'll free you up to do the things that you do best, whether it's the kids, ministry, um, being at home. My wife loves to be at home. She, she has said when we met, she wanted to be a stay-at-home mom. That was her desire. So, so her being at home and being around the kids, she was in her sweet spot. 
you know, the bills and all the other stuff, usually it was, she usually did those. Uh, there came a time where she said, you know what, I'd rather you do those. So I took them over. <clears throat> but con communication with your spouse is critical. And then as you're reintegrating, uh, you know, for, for also it takes uh, for for you, the veteran co coming home, you've got to ask yourself, you've got to look at, at yourself inside, you know, what your insecure, you know, security, are, are, are you, is there insecurities going on? Is there, if there was problems in the foundation at home when you left, they didn't magically repair. So you've got to, you've got to do the daily look at within yourself. Hey, how are things constantly assessing yourself? How am I doing with my wife? When I get home, what are my expectations? This is huge expectations. What are, what are my spouse's expectations? What are my expectations and having that conversation and getting them out there? Because if you don't, your expectations are not going to be met. They're going to, they're going to be <laughs> underwhelming or maybe overwhelming. And then you're going to have the emotional explosions that happen inwardly and outwardly as a re result of it. So, so now, well, you know, one of my friends, his name is Stephen Eugene Kuhn. Oh, he's a great dude. Um, I'm actually, I read his book, um, Humble Alpha. Mm -hmm. I'm studying it now. Um, Cause there, there's there between reading something and studying it and putting it into practice. You know, he talks about how, you know, sometimes we put expectations upon people and they don't know that we're expecting it from them. Mm. It creates a whole different level of anger and animosity. Say, for instance, you know, we go out and buy our wives flowers and chocolate just because we want to get lucky that night. Well, they might just think you're just trying to be nice and loving and they turn over and they go to bed and you're left all angry and frustrated because you're expecting something that they never even knew that you were, that we were expecting of them. So sometimes we have to start living. I think a lot of times is living without expectation because then a lot of times um, more, more great things happen when you're not expecting them. You know what I'm trying to say? So you agree with that? Yeah, and what I'm hearing is from the man managing expectations is is you know we have this glorious vision of I, I can just remember me thinking on the plane ride home oh when I get home the the music's playing in the background the 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 wind is blowing through our hair and we're running towards each other for a big hug and oh honey I missed you and I love you and you got this big expectation that like it's a a television show where you're coming home and you know, it's, or it's a, it's a movie. And then you get there. It's like, it wasn't anything like that. <laughs> it wasn't anything like that at all. Um, you know, it, for me, when those expectations come up, it's having the conversation, you know, I've got this expectation coming home and my wife will say, well, that's not going to happen. Okay. That then, then I can say, okay, I need to get that out. I need to quit playing in fantasy world here and get back to, okay, baby, what's your expectation when I come home? What, you know, what, what are you wanting? Actually the, the joke around our home was this. Whenever we felt like one another was not, um, we, we weren't paying attention to one another or we weren't in, uh, 
involved the way we should be at home or with each other, or we were just getting on each other's nerves, we would say, I think, I think you, Dennis, I think you need to go TDY. And that was her way of saying, you know, when you go TDY, you're more thought about that. I don't know what happened, but we're back connected again. So now how many years did you do in the military? I did 23 years, one month and 29 days in, in the Air Force. But who was counting, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. So now talk to us, you know, because once we hit 20 years, you know, we get our letter and we, we can decide to get out. But, you know, I find, well, when I got out, I had 23 years in between National Guard and regular Army time. But I got hurt. And my, my goal was to hit 30 years. But, you know, obviously, if you can't see, you can't shoot. So they don't need you. So they, you know, they retired me out. And I kind of, um, I didn't know who Richard was, you know, from my whole life, I was Sergeant Kaufman. Mm. Then the day that they told me, well, you're no longer Sergeant Kaufman was Memorial Day 2012, the day I attempted suicide, because I didn't know who I was. Mm. For me, you know, for the people, a lot of people that I've talked to, you know, when they get out of the military, you know, even though we're all hardcore and hua hua. You know, we get used to getting paid on the 1st and the 15th. Mm -hmm. We get used to having TRICARE and all that good stuff. And like my friend Sergeant Nick says, you know, once you step off base, the military does not really give a crap about you. And your phone stops ringing. So now not only do you have no, you know, your case was different because you're retired. But a lot of times is, you know, no longer do you have, you don't have any money coming in. You lose all your friendships. And then you don't have a mission. So what was your transitioning story like? Wow. You know, I had uh, I had just gotten promoted to, to E8. And like you, I said, you know what? I'm going to do 30 at this point. When I, when I reached 20, um, I hadn't achieved what I wanted to achieve. Again, I'm competitive. I, I'm, I'm driven. Uh, there, were, there were just some things I hadn't done yet that I wanted to do. And I, I wanted to prove to myself. And so I had made this promotion and was just excited. And I was planning on the last one. I had one more to go. And I, I was planning on that promotion. And getting back to my faith, I, I remember sitting in my office, planning on uh, what I needed to do for that, that next promotion and laying all of that strategy out. I can, I can just remember sitting there planning it out. And it, it was as if I'd heard a voice that just said, okay, now it's time. I go, what? I remember saying to my, I'm like, what? It's time. Time for what? Okay. It's time for you to get out of the military. And I remember when I joined the military, I said, Lord, I won't leave it until you tell me. And when you tell me, I'll leave it. And he said, time to leave. And I'm like, wow. Well, okay. So I, I waited until, since I had a promotion, I had to do a, 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 a service obligation for that rank. And when I got a year out from that service obligation ending, I, I pushed the button. I, I let my chain of command know. You know, my wife, of course, was including that decision. We talked about it. And and so we planned that process of I had a full year to to start the, the transitioning, the, the records, the appointments. Um, and, but I didn't know what I was going to do. Like you said about the mission, I didn't have that mission either at that point. It's like, all right, I, I don't know what the mission is. Or, or what I'm going to be doing at that point. But as time progressed to our, towards my retirement, uh, the mission was 
uh, I remember thinking that I was going to go into ministry. And I, I finally had the opportunity to do that. And I did that for two years upon retirement. And then the mission changed. Now, what years were these? <clears throat> this was 2015. I retired. Um, I, my, I retired in May of 2015. And so I served in a, a, a nonprofit ministry for two years on, on the pastoral staff, dealing mainly with men, working in men's ministry. And, and while I was doing that, <clears throat> this is where the, the story was really impactful. Is at my retirement ceremony, my mother-in-law gave me a gift. And she gifted me my certification, my coaching certification through uh, the John Maxwell team. It's just an amazing gift. She just said, this is what you need to be doing. I I really believe in you. And and John Maxwell, apart from the Lord, John Maxwell's probably had the biggest impact in my military career, understanding leadership, understanding. A lot of people don't probably don't know. Like, I love John Maxwell. Yeah. Uh, and I've been, hopefully I'm going to have him on the show one day, Lord willing. Uh, who, who is John Maxwell and what does he do for people that don't know? Yes, great question. John Maxwell is, he's written more books on leadership than anybody in history. He's written over 100 books. He was actually a pastor for 25 years and transitioned out of ministry into uh, the leadership field because he, he found out that two-thirds of the people that were buying his books were business leaders. And so he transitioned out to serve the business community. And, and through that process, just he, he, he touched a nerve. We, we talked about management a lot back in the 90s. But then leadership started to shift. And I actually had been reading his books. The Air Force kind of introduced me to him because they quoted him all the time in a lot of our leadership uh, materials and supervisory materials. And so I started purchasing his books and reading them. So John, if if you don't know who John Maxwell is and you're listening to this podcast, go just uh, Google John C. Maxwell and you're going to see books popping up left and right. But two books that really impacted me of his, uh, the first one was called The 360 Degree Leader. Because in the military, you know, it's chain of command. It's whoever has the most stars, bars and stripes is the leader by 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 default. And most of us are not the leader per se. And I was in an organization that was civilian and, and heavily uh, officer oriented. I'm, I'm enlisted. And I was at a rank where generally I'm getting PowerPoints and coffee for most of these people. And I, I wanted to figure out how I know how to lead across and I know how to lead down, but I'm having a hard time influencing people above me. And that 360 degree leader book really helped me learn how to have an impact without having the, the rank stars and bars it really opened my eyes there. And then the other book is the 15 invaluable laws of growth. I love this book because it's all about personal growth in order to become the person you're meant to be. You've got to invest in you and you've got to grow yourself every day. And this book really helped open my eyes to, really have an intentional personal growth personal now, growth. So did you have to did you have to go through one of his courses? Did you go through what kind of courses did you go through? Um well during my military career he, uh the I actually got uh got my organization to give me a permissive TDY to a couple of his corporate uh classes on developing lead, uh, developing the leader within me 
and uh, the 21 laws of leadership. But, or actually it was a 360 degree leader. At, at my the certification that I had, I got trained on being being a coach, a speaker, and a trainer through his material. And my goodness, just it has just changed my world upside down. And that that has led into the ministry I was in. The ministry actually, I, I pulled away from the ministry, sensing a a calling to go into business and to, to coach and speak and train, which is what I'm doing now. And John Maxwell's material has heavily influenced me in these areas. So now you got, you started your own business. What did you start to do? I, I started doing what I'd been doing pretty much my whole life, leading small group discussions, facilitating small group discussion and one-on-one coaching. What I thought, what I'd heard over the years was, uh, there's a big difference between coaching and mentoring. Mentoring is you've been there, you've done that, you got the t-shirt and you carve the path for people to follow. And you're telling people what to do and how to do it. Coaching is entirely different. It's coming alongside of the person and asking help, asking them questions, helping them uncover the answers for themselves because they've got the answers. They, they know the path. A lot of times we ask questions of people when we already know the answers because we're just looking for the affirmation or we're looking for that person. We're looking for that accountability. And so as a coach, I just come alongside those people and have those conversations. And from that coaching conversation, asking those questions, the awareness that comes to that person in that moment, moment, a blind spots revealed. And now that it's revealed and exposed, they can step forward and confidence from it because now they got a path and a strategy. So now this get... is what, 2017, 2018? Yes, sir. 2007. Let's see. I started the business actually at the same time I was in the ministry. So it was 2015. And I've been doing this now six, six or seven years. So now, okay. Uh, obviously 2019 um, COVID hits. Yes. How did you, how did that affect? Cause you know, I've talked to a lot of people on here. I'm actually having Mr. John Lean Dubas coming on and some of these Tony Wally and these big speakers. Mm-hmm. You know, and then all, in 2019, all of a sudden they had all these speaking engagements around the world and the world ground to a halt. And a lot of people had to pivot to online, obviously. So how did COVID affect you and how did you pivot? Yeah, COVID, COVID hit pretty hard. Most of my coaching was actually already being done using uh, online platforms like Zoom or free conference calls. You know, I was doing here in San Antonio, Texas, where I live now, a lot of in-person coaching sessions here lo- locally. Um, so it didn't impact me from a technology perspective like it, it impacted a, lo- a lot of others, but it did impact me in that a lot of people decided that coaching, speaking, training wasn't what they needed at the time. And so my, my business took a hit in that area. I still had a few coaching clients, but I, you know, my networking and different things like that changed. What I did during COVID, my pivot was more focused inward. Um, You know, we were talking about family a, a little bit ago. I was going through some personal struggles 
at home. And you know what? When when the the house is unsettled and your values and your foundations being unsettled, it affects everything. And it would. And so I needed to go back in and shore reshore go back to the foundations and my values. I needed to restore and repair those values and really focus inward on my family, really focus inward on why I'm doing what I'm doing, getting back with my faith, getting that, building a closer relationship with my Lord. And then from that pivoting back into business because my mind I was looking at business from a money mindset looking for money you know how do I pay the bills and and you know you got to pay the bills but that's not why I did this in the first place this wasn't why I was called to go out in business I was going called to serve and impact people and be be a a a to come alongside of, of people and be that salt, be that light, be that voice, be that calm in the storm. And in order to be a calm in the storm, I got to be calm in the storm. And so I had to, my pivot was where most people were building their businesses and making pivots in their business. I was going back to the foundation and the fundamentals and, and getting those back on track before I moved back forward into business. So now, you know, a lot of people, um, myself included, you know, I've, obviously I, I'm still a coach, um, but now it's more on the podcasting side. I'm, I, I had, I re I pivoted myself. Um, a lot of times, you know, like I've come, I come from, um, I've been in recovery for over 32 years, you know, well, 33 now I've been sober 30, 33 years now. And a lot of it is always paying it forward you know, helping other people. And a lot of people have problems asking to get paid for helping people. Mm. So talk to us about making that mindset set when, you know, all of a sudden, you know, a lot of people will start, you know, Hey, Dennis, I need help with this. I need help with this. And then there's a point where you'd be like, Hey, you know, I got to eat, you know, I got to mm-hmm. pay. I got to be able to buy a new phone so I can talk to you. So what was that mindset shift like when you had this, when you actually started charging to uh, coach people? You know, that was that was tough at first because, you know, everybody loves free chicken. Come on. Everybody loves free chicken. And um, at first, uh, as a way of serving, I would offer services for free because, you know, it's part of uh, some of that business models that are out there is, you know, they've got to they got to taste the hors d'oeuvre to be hungry for. Uh, hungry for the main dish. Um, and I really had to work through that mindset of asking for money because it, 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 I really struggled with it at first because I don't like to ask for anything. It, it's, it might be pride, it might be ego. I just I don't like to need help. I, a part of my personality is that I love to help people, but I don't like to ask for it. And so that that's a that's a growth area that I work on is asking for that help. So, but from a business perspective and asking uh, for money, um, I I found when I was leading small groups, they would ask me for coaching and many of them didn't even ask, ask price. They they weren't worried about price. They, they saw the value and they saw the investment. I love working for those people. I love working with 
those people that see your value and it's 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 not a dollar issue but to 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 your point to to the question how did i get over that i i remember listening to a call um in my training from a guy by the name of paul martinelli and he was talking about living money may i just asking that question you're asking your checkbook you know money may i do this and instead I needed to ask myself, instead of living money, may I, I just need to step forward and trust God to provide the means. If if this person's in front of me and God has put them in front of me, then I need, need to ask. I, I just need to go ahead and make the ask. And if they say no, that's okay. It's okay to say no. And I, what, what was happening was, is I was taking the no's personally. And allowing those no's to beat me back to never ask. And what I felt, and my mindset shifted when I said, you know what? No, it just it's okay that they say no. You're not the right person for them at this time. Go to the people that are. You got to go fish where the fish are biting. And, you know, the fish bit here. And, and after a while, you're like, you know what? This isn't a, this coaching is a relationship. Uh, while I might be able to coach anybody, I'm not supposed to coach everybody. I'm supposed to find the right niche for for the people I'm to serve. And so what I found is, is when they said no, then that's okay. Then I ask, hey, who do you know that I should know that that could use my services? Or who do you know that needs to hear this message that I gave? And that, that just opened doors. And, and also when they said no, not treating them like, okay, well, you don't know what you're getting. You don't know what you're leaving behind. And, and also just leaving the door of communication open to find out, Hey, okay, I'm not the right fit, but if I know somebody that is the right fit for them to make the connection. Now, you know, a lot of people that listen to this are either veterans or entrepreneurs or both. Mm. And I believe that, you know, like Stephen Kuhn and Lane Ballone, they said they always talk about if you do not have a business plan, you do not have a business. You just have a hobby that you're dumping money into. And so talk to us about who you're, you know, how to find the, your, you know, or not your, but I mean, how to when you're starting a business, how to find your avatar. Because a lot of people, you know, like when I first started my business, I was everywhere. I was mm -hmm. talking to everybody and talking to no one until I started actually really to niche down. So talk to us about niching down and finding, getting a clear picture and clarity of your avatar. Yeah, Richard, you and I are in the same boat. Um, getting started, I was talking to anybody and everyone and doing these, these same things. And, you know, you would get some to join. And what I started looking at is those people that said yes and in, investing in them, I, I started looking at, okay, what is it about them? What about their, their business, the person that they're saying yes to me? There, there's obviously something there. Cause I didn't have a niche. I'm, I'm just upfront. I didn't have a niche to start. I just jumped into the deep end of the pool and, and, and started. And what I found with the, the niches is uh, the people that are coming to me the most 
are new leaders that that are they're entrepreneurs like in real estate that are wanting to grow a team and and, and they're not sure how to do it how how what do i look for how do i lead these people i've hired them i don't know what to do now i'm 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 in charge now what helping people through that that's been that's been a a big niche and also from a um the other niche is i i work with a lot of coaches which surprised me i i'm 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 new to coaching you know just getting started but i have a lot of coaches that are coming to me and i'm going to be honest i love working with coaches because they already have the mindset they already have the mindset they're already open to to coaching and accountability in that process so i love working with coaches i love working with with new leaders and and just being that that buffer to to help them take those next steps and to build their leadership muscles because you know veterans you know we're you know we are we get a lot of personal growth and leadership development across all services whether you're officer enlisted that that's been my experience and just talking to others and my assumption was when i got out that this was stuff that was already being done at um out in the civilian world and and actually it's not we've been, we are more than equipped to help people grow in their leadership and developing themselves and disciplining themselves don't undersell what your your military career and what you've done no matter how long you've been doing it whether you did it for a year or whether you went to retirement don't don't cut yourself don't undersell yourself because there's a lot of people outside of the fences of the military that need our services and so for me the, the niche for me was just looking at the people that were attracted to me why they were attracted to me what were their character characteristics what did they need what did we work on what what stuck with them and primarily what stuck the most has been the one-to-one coaching relationship with coaches and helping new leaders grow their leadership muscles. I love it. So now the last couple of questions I have, um, please talk to us because I, I really love, I love your acronym fire. Um, and I think if, if everybody can just get these four points in their life, it would change their life um, dramatically because, you know, a, a lot, I've talked to a lot of seven, eight, nine figure earners and some of the most successful people, um, they put relationships first and some of the people that have failed the most is they put their business first mm. and they lose it. They lose half to, for their their divorce and they get married again and they get divorced again because they're not focused. They, they're not relationship driven. And like for me, you know, like even in the Bible says, you know, what is it to gain the world, but lose your soul. But mm -hmm. for me, I picture, you know, what is it to have the big house, the beautiful car and the big boat. If you go down, if, if you go home after work and, and sit at the kitchen table by yourself. So talk to us about fire 
and talk to us, especially about relationships. I believe relationships are everything. Yes. So what fire is, 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 uh, we're military. Most of you here listen to this, you know, we love our acronyms. And so fire is an acronym for me that are my core values. Uh, the, the F is twofold. There's actually two F's. I got two F's, two I's and R and an E. And so it starts first with F is faith and family. The, the, my, my faith is first. Everything flows through my faith first. It's not a compartment of my personal growth uh, wheel of life. Everything flows through. It's the center hub of, of everything I do is my faith. And the next is, so my, my, my relationship with the Lord starts first. And from that relationship flows to my family because my family is important. And when those two are are off, everything else is off, and they all go together. My I is integrity and inspiration. I mean, Air Force integrity first, and and inspiration is my life word. That's the one word that just resonates with me the most. Is inspiring. It's not motivating. It's inspiring. It's breathing life into people. When I think of the word inspire. I think of it like CPR. You are breathing life into bodies, people, business, and and you're the rescue. That just I, that's how I see myself. That's the word that just keeps coming out. Where breathing that life and you just it just wakes people up. R is relationships. So it goes back to faith and family and integrity. It's relationships matter. It, if you're John Maxwell says this, if you're a leader and have no followers, you're only going out for a walk. You're on a walk and we're in business. And in order to have a business, whether it's a service related or product related, you have to have relationships with clients that purchase your products and services. So building those relationships that matter, not just to serve you and bring finance money into the business, but also pouring into them and giving and, and breathe, you know, in, inspiration, breathing life into those relationships. And then E is excellence. Um, got every part of my life. I strive for excellence in all that I do. And, you know, I got a long way to go in all of those areas, but I'm constantly looking at those values constantly. You know, if there's cracks repairing those cracks, looking at boundaries. Just this, this week, I was in a, a transformational roundtable, and the topic was integrity. And we were talking about core values and setting up boundaries, like on the highway, the rumble strips, boundaries in your values. So that way you're staying in the lanes. And, and that's something that I strive to do with my values constantly is playing out those scenarios like your wartime scenarios and your exercises you go through to where it's muscle memory. And so finding those areas in my faith, my family, my integrity, my inspiration, my relationships and excellence, finding those, those, those rumble strips to keep me from drifting off the road and, and, and working through those scenarios. That's something I, I, I strive to do and, and work on consistently. And I was reminded of that this week. But that's my fire. Faith, family, integrity, inspiration, relationships, and excellence. Awesome. Now, we have something that we do on the show. We do quick fire, three questions. 
and and we get right off the top of your head whatever you think whatever you say we do it so you ready fire in a hole my friend all right if you had to start your business all over again with little to no money how would you do it how would i do it you know i would probably do it uh, the one thing i would do differently is i would get a business coach up front to go through a business plan at the very beginning versus just jumping in and into the deep end of the pool and try to figure it out. I love that. I just released an episode on Friday or Thursday before we, we went on vacation and it was a gentleman he owns. His name is Jay Young. He actually owns a uh, oil business in out in Texas. And, you know, he does a hundred million a year. And he says, before I ever get into any business, I have the, end result in mind before I even start. So I think that's exactly what you're talking about is to make sure that you have that business plan before you even spend a penny. I love that. Yes. So number two, what is the most important lesson you've learned while in business? Wow. The most important lesson I've learned while in business. Man, I think the biggest lesson is it goes to to focus, have being focused every day in it. When I'm not focused, uh, I I tend to fall back to that that uh, that freshman in college. Too much time on my hands and and wandering, drifting for, away from excellence. And so, uh, you know, focus is so is so important. And focus that is focused on why the, the big picture you just mentioned, the, the why you're in business to begin with. When you when I lose focus of my why, I, I start drifting and being distracted and start chasing shiny object syndrome and, and get myself off course. I love it. Last question. What top three piece of, pieces of advice would you give to someone just starting out in business today? Get a coach, number one. Get a coach. That, that's most important. Number two, know why you're in business. Not what and how that, that comes. Know your why. Because when you know your why, the what and the, what and the how will, will stay firm. They'll come to you, but you got to have a firm foundation of why you're in business to begin with. And then number three, Make sure your family's on board with you. If, if, if you're doing this as a hobby, then, then do it as a hobby. But if you're doing this as a stream of income and a way of life, which is what business should be, then make sure that your, your spouse is on board with you versus doing it by yourself. Because when I have gone off kilter in these years of doing it, it's because my wife and I haven't been on the same page. And that's I, been my fault. I love it. So, uh, the last two questions. Well, normally I, I only ask the last two questions, but because you're special, I'm going to ask you a third question. So sec, uh, next question is, how do we find you? Um, how, do, how can we support your mission? If somebody wants to hire you to coach, coach them in their business, how do we find you? Oh, yeah, yeah. There, there's so many different ways. I mean, I'm on social media, you know, the Facebooks. LinkedIn is a great way to connect with me. Um, 
email, but my the webpage that I'm currently using right now is uh, Dennis Larue at johnmaxwellgroup.com. You can you can find me there, and that you can shoot an email to me to, to connect with me there. Those are those are the best ways to reach me. And then once once we connect, I I love texting and staying in contact with people that way. Uh, you know, you and I have been on Facebook Messenger quite a bit, Richard. So that's yeah. another way that I connect with people is is uh, staying active socially. That's the way to connect with me. And what we'll do is we'll set up a conversation because I want to talk to you one to one from a coaching perspective and make sure that we're the right fit for each other. And so that the, the initial conversation, of course, I'm not going to charge. I just want to get to know you. And, and if I can add value to you, my veterans, especially, and point you in the right direction to, to somebody else that can serve you better than I can, then I want to do that because we need to take care of each other. I love it. Now, Last, well, more, but um, a question that I ask, and I love asking it because, you know, I get, I ask a thousand different people and I get a thousand different answers and they're all good and they're all life changing. You know, we live in a crazy world. We're still living in the COVID world. Um, a lot of people here in New Jersey lost their jobs. So we got a lot of parents that are driving Uber, driving DoorDash just to put food in their kids' mouths. So if I ask the average American to do something in seven days, they're pretty much never going to get to it. But if I ask somebody that's listening to this now to take an actionable step in the next 24 hours, they're more likely. Hmm. So if somebody is struggling in their business, what is something they can do in the next 24 hours to start to get some clarity? Great question. I think it goes back to to the coaching. If if you don't have a coach or a mentor, who do you know in your circles that you can go to and sit down and talk to uh, about where you're at on business and get clarity? Because you know the the thing about blind spots is the reason they're blind spots is you can't see them. So if you're struggling, you may be struggling with something that you can't see and you can't put your finger on. And you need to go to those people that know and love you best that have been around or a business person, business coach, mentor, and sit down with them and and work through and let those blind spots get exposed so you can put an action plan in place to overcome them and move oh, your business forward. I love it. Now, the last question I ask, and I don't ask this for everybody, but just because me and you, you know, we're brothers in Christ. Yes, so that's, you know, that's the most important thing. You know, they say that if you do not feel close to God, you're the one that moved. Hmm. And so now if somebody's out there struggling with their faith, what is something they can do to get closer to him and find some peace in these tumultuous times that we live in? Oh, that's a great question. You know what? Uh, I just finished reading a great book on that topic. It's called Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby. It was one of the first resources that I ever read as I came to to the Lord. And it helped me hear his voice so, so specifically and so wonderfully. And my recommendation if is this, is twofold. If you're, if you're feeling far from God, you need to do two things. One is just cry out to him because he listens. He hears your cries no matter what you've done, 
nothing. Nothing will keep you from him. Nothing. But the second thing I think that is most important is this also. Forgive yourself. He forgives you. When you ask for forgiveness and your, your, your peace is unsettled and you ask him for it, he'll give it to you. But oftentimes what I found in my life is when I'm unsettled, it's because I can't forgive myself for what I've said, what I've done, or I know better and I still did it anyway. And so I beat myself up and, and, and whip myself when really he's already forgiven me. And I've asked for that forgiveness and I need to forgive myself. So, so to your answer, one, he's listening, talk to him. And number, and number two, forgive yourself. And those doors will, and then peace comes because peace comes through love. The, the fruits of the spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Th- those are nine fruits that's that's nine flavors in one fruit. Okay? They're all right there. So love, joy, and peace. God loves you. And when you have peace, it, there's joy. If you want more joy in your life, then, then pursue that love relationship God has for you and pursue that peace with him and with yourself by forgiving yourself. And aren't they the fruits of the Spirit? Yes, the fruits of the Spirit. All right, my brother. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Um, it's, it's been a pleasure that you've been in my life now for a couple of years, and I'm so grateful. This is going to go out next season, so um, it'll go out to 12 different platforms, and hopefully we can help save some lives, businesses, but also, you know, it, hopefully it'll have um, help somebody eternally. So I just want to say thank you, my brother, and I'm so grateful for your friendship. Oh, Richard, thank you. It's been a privilege and a pleasure, and Thank you for your testimony, your life, your walk. You are impacting me in more ways than you realize. And man, I, I really appreciate you and allowing me this, this awesome opportunity to serve, man. Blessings to you, brother. Well, God bless you and the family and crush it this week. Amen. You do the same. All right, brother. Bye. Bye-bye. Hey, guys. If you're enjoying our show, if you love what we're doing, if you would like to support us, We have a whole bunch of great stuff coming out. We have a brand new t-shirt line that's coming out. Hats, coffee mugs, any kind of swag that lets your friends know that you support Vertical Momentum and you're always looking to get better. Also, we have our new coffee brand coming out. It's called Vertical Momentum Coffee. It's ass-kicking coffee. And and it it will get you moving in the morning. So guys, if you're interested, go to www.richardkaufman.net. Check us out. Leave us a note. Tell us what you'd like, and we'll actually send it to you. The new website is being built. So if you guys want to, our book is out there on Amazon. It's called A Hero's Journey from Darkness to Light. Definitely check it out. It talks about my story, but it also talks about how to survive depression, how to survive addiction. All right, guys, I love you. Thank you so much for always supporting our mission, which is to save lives. Thank you for joining us today. Please hit subscribe and share. Please feel free to leave us a comment.